0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Jordan. Before we get started, you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And if you would like to help us out with supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash alienfamiliarmedia. So if you enjoy our content and would like to help us out with hosting costs, any help you would be able to give us would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for joining us today. Originally, we were going to be doing another Dice Bag Disco, another Grab Bag bag episode where we talked about a variety of smaller topics that we didn't feel were, were big enough to take over an entire episode to talk about. But I underestimated the amount that we had to say about the first topic and leading into a related topic. So this episode's ended up being all about combat tactics and group cohesion. So without further ado, here is the episode. Hit me with the first one. All right. The first one is a problem that a quote problem. It's something that annoys me. It and this is something that I have seen both it, especially with new players, but also I've seen a lot of people who have been playing the game for years who just have no grasp of this of, of this concept, and that is the use of basic combat tactics in this, in particularly d d which is based on originally a combat, a tactical combat game, just the complete lack of people do, doing any sort of basic tactics, sometimes people will actually get into like a flanking position or if there's some sort of mechanic behind it they will use that but otherwise it's just completely i don't know what's going through people's minds sometimes whenever they're deciding what they're going to be doing on a particular game a particular round of combat
1: yeah it's it's also something that drives me crazy and it it seems like it'll it'll fluctuate uh, depending on the game that you're playing but dungeons and dragons it definitely seems to uh, i don't know if it caters to yeah it does cater to um people who just want to do something um, very theatrical instead of something tactical and I, I that's what hit points are right it's the It's the buffer space that you have to ham it up before there's real consequences to the stupid shit that you're doing. Whereas if you tried the same thing in a pistol duel in 1890s Call of Cthulhu, you're taking your life into your hands,
0: right? Well, even in games that are very deadly, like Apocalyptia, whenever we were playing in that, whenever there was... There were certain players who I I am pretty sure that every single time their turn came up, that was like the moment that you or I said, okay, it's your turn. That is when they, they look, they, they figure out what the situation is. Sometimes by asking questions, other times just saying, I'm going to attack the person that is nearest me without any, without any idea of what's going on without taking into any account what is happening? What has happened? Even on their turn, like who has attacked them during the previous rounds? I I see this as just a failing of paying attention more than anything.
1: Yeah, I I think that that's a that's a learned behavior. Um, I, I think that um, game systems and DMs uh, they they train players to play in a certain way. And if you play in a a system like most people start with Dungeons and Dragons, that is definitely meant to be more of like high adventure, action, pulpy kind of stuff, Um, that is going to teach you that role playing is this certain kind of thing. And if you hardly ever have a character die, like I, I think most role players probably hardly ever see a character death these days. Um, you know, it's, it's super hard to die in 5th edition. We've, we've all discovered that. And um, I don't know, I, th- I think that's uh, there's something about the expectation of, of how to conduct yourself as a player in the game um, that, that the rules and, and the culture have shaped to be like that. It, it doesn't occur to most people. If I do the wrong thing on my turn, I could die, because the rules have been so completely nerfed in a lot of systems, the popular ones, um, that that's not really on the table most of the time. It's a, it's a rare thing that your your choices are that important,
0: right? Yeah, I see. Yes, I I very much do agree with all of that. I, I see the core problem, though, as being more of a selfishness on the part of the individual player. And the the idea that there would be consequences to poor decisions, that's the types of consequences is you're bad at combat and your character might get killed. But there's nobody like how would you call somebody out on that to point out that their their decisions aren't aren't conducive for the type of game that is being played without, I mean, most of the time whenever you whenever I want to try to guide somebody into making um, what I feel would be um, more in character, better decisions. because if you're playing this type of game and you're playing a, a roguish character who is um, who is very backstabby, wouldn't you want to teach that player, well, this is how you actually go about doing that in combat rather than just attacking an enemy who your allies aren't helping you take down. Mm-hmm. I I, I run into, I don't want to feel like I'm being an asshole, but I also see the player is playing a particular, they have a, a, an internal narrative of what the character is but then, when it comes to combat, a lot of times the player just doesn't care about combat, mm-hmm. and so whenever they get the bad the the bad consequence of their ill informed choices, they just don't care because more often than not, if their character, well, if for some reason the character died, they would be sad because their character has died, but they wouldn't really learn anything from it. I. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this.
1: It, it depends on what the on what that actual person wanted out of that game. You know, um, I think that uh, there's a certain kind of player that's that's more like you or me that is into you know the the tactical situation and working all that stuff out. And then there are other kinds that are there for you know predominantly a social element or predominantly, you know, maybe some kind of theatrical thing or something like that. And, and there's also a lot about like, what is the fiction that they have running in their head that they're drawing from that informs, you know, the flavor of the, the game that they're playing, like in their own mind, you know, if, um, if I'm sitting here, uh, thinking about something like, uh, Braveheart or, uh, you know, the HBO series Rome or something like that. Um, That's going to be a completely different set of expectations and behaviors um, for my character than someone who's thinking about like some anime series or, or something along those lines. You know, it's, they behave in different ways because there's different stakes and there's, there's just, you know, sort of a different physics of the world and the narrative. I, I, I think especially the last, uh, well, since third edition, I think that D&D has been heavily influenced by anime. It's a whole lot of, like, here's my big damn character, and it's my turn now. The the shot goes to me, and I'm going to do my big charge-up attack, and, oh, man, I hit three enemies, blah, blah, blah. You know, numbers pop up over their heads or whatever. It's all got that, like... JRPG kind of feel to it um but i think uh, uh some people are just never going to get into that like you know John Wick type of <laughs> role playing game i mean when i when i ran that uh when i ran that apocalypse game at the very beginning of covid um and you guys were in west virginia i don't think any of your characters are soldiers But just because of the players that you are, the people that you are, and uh, the way that you wanted to to play that game, you kind of did, you know, makeshift tactical operations. You'd take cover, you'd get each other's backs, you'd scout out stuff, you know, you'd figure out, like, the hard positions and, you know, beneficial ways to engage the enemy. Um, I I don't know, I... You can teach it if people are willing to get into that sort of thing, but I, I don't know how you would um, like draw somebody into that if that's not the game they want to
0: start with. So what would you say are some very basic tactics that even if you're not into that, what are some things that you can, you can look at pretty much any situation and always say, okay, this is probably going to be a better idea than just, Attacking whatever is nearest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably the one that I'm that that infuriates me the most in in any role playing game that I'm playing. Whenever we're fighting multiple enemies, is not focusing fire to take down a particular enemy before moving on to another. This drives me up the wall. No matter what role in the in the group I am playing is whenever. I'm trying to, um, whether, well, whenever I'm the player, I'm trying to eliminate the potential sources of combat damage. And the way I do that is I hit the enemy that seems to be the lowest amount, have the lowest hit points, hit them first to take them out of combat. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I consider when I'm considering what I'm going to be doing on my combat round. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good one trying to swing the the overall action economy in your favor. And uh, I don't think a lot of a lot of players think about it that way, but on the the enemy side, you know, if there's 10 goblins and they each get an attack, that's 10 actions versus your party of let's say six adventurers and let's say they've all got one action, well they're four up on you. If you can work together and whittle those those weakest goblins down, maybe they're not going to do as much damage as you know the big boss or whatever. But you're eliminating chances of somebody getting critted, for one thing, um, and you're you're also m- limiting the ability for them to get advantageous position around you, um, and that's that's the other one that I want to mention is minimizing your vulnerability on the map like in the world you know limiting the number of attack vectors that can come at you that that could be as simple as if they've got ranged combatants if there's enemy archers don't end your turn outside of cover you should always be behind some pillar behind a wall behind a chest, whatever's available, Like, don't ever end your turn in view of multiple ranged combatants, wizards or whatever. Um, if you're in a, a melee situation, get your back against the wall. Even better, get your back into a corner. Even better than that, have yourself in a, a, a tunnel where you can funnel your enemies at you and... Hold that position with support with your with your allies. You know, if you've got a couple tanks in the front and a couple range people in the back, that's the fucking battle of Thermopylae. You know, you can hold out against a lot in a formation like
0: that, right? Exactly. One thing that I have seen, like relate directly related to that, one thing that I have seen on multiple occasions from multiple different players is. The exact inverse of what you're saying, there is a bottleneck and you're saying, set it up so that you have, so that like your characters get attacks against the enemy who was in the bottleneck. I cannot, I, there have been many games where I've seen like the stereotypical, you are in a, um, you, you're in a, a doorway and one player will step into the doorway and be in that doorway so that no other player in melee, no other player can make a melee attack and they're facing down three or four enemies. And it drove, it It drives me insane every time I see it happen. Like players think they're blocking it so that enemies can't get by. No, you're making it so that you are getting hit and your allies can't do anything because they can't get around you and they can't attack the enemies. Mm -hmm.
1: yep yeah you want the exact opposite of that you want one enemy at a time coming through facing off against three or four of your buddies every round and (laughs) yeah being in exactly the position of the asshole that you that you just talked about um another one that's that's kind of akin to that um there's, there's a lot about tunnel maneuvers here that we're talking about because, I mean, in D&D has been, what, three quarters of your time dealing with tunnels, at least. Um, the the idea of a, a tactical retreat, like not even a retreat, just falling back to a better position. Um, I don't know how many times in a game I've tried to orchestrate this, and it's... It would be easier to do if it was uh, like the old basic rules way of doing it, where the DM had a turn and then the entire group went, and there wasn't like different initiative between uh, the player characters. But when the player characters are going on different initiative order, doing coordinated shit like this is basically impossible. Um, But yeah, having having it set up where okay. Your front row fighters have been taking a lot of damage. They need to cycle out. So, you know, let them fall back just like you've seen in in shield walls in movies and stuff a million times. The same guy wasn't always up there at the front. That dude will get stabbed by a random spear and sword or whatever. And so they rotate them out. Those guys go get some medical attention and you send fresh troops up to the front to hold the line. And you just keep rotating that over and over again. And with clerics and stuff, like if you do this intelligently, um, you know, you can, again, you can hold off for a really long time as long as you keep rotating in um, fresh combatants. But yeah, and God help you if you try to do a full-blown retreat. If you're actually just trying to get everybody the hell out of there, no, somebody's gonna decide fuck it they're just gonna keep fighting and and then get completely swarmed by whatever it is that you're trying to get away from it seems like every fucking time
0: yeah i had a like just literally last um weekend i had a a game where i was the dm and um we were playing curse of strahd and um, i don't want to give any spoilers away for curse of strahd but um there was the situation uh, with the the vampire spawn where there's way too many of them for a low-level party. And I intentionally had the vampire spawn come into a bottleneck so that the, the player characters could see how many of them there were and make an appropriate decision based on it. The vampire spawn go, and then the... Well, the character who was literally wearing the least amount of armor, his, his turn comes up. And so he walks up, not so that one of them could hit him, but so that three of them could hit him on their next turn. <laughs> and he's as he's doing this, he says, we need to get out of here. So he walks up and attacks one, doesn't move. And all of the other players listen to him. They make good tactical decisions. And it gets to the Vampire Spawn's next turn and suddenly they have all of their turns and this character goes after them and they get a shit ton of attacks and he goes down.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, I really think it, it has to do with the way that d d was designed primarily. Um, I, I remember playing 2nd Edition when you you'd roll for your first level hit points and you were like... You know, maybe you got a, a plus one to your hit points from your con or something. Um, and you're just very frail, you know, and it, it took a long time to level, it seemed like. And it, I remember playing and like everything seemed so scary. You know, every game of d and I remember from those days when I was a kid seemed like I was playing in a horror game. Monsters were scary. It wasn't because it was in Ravenloft and it was an intentionally, you know, Victorian horror kind of setting. It was that I could legit get my character killed easily um, if I wasn't careful and be it combat, be it, you know, adventuring in, in a a dungeon or a cave or whatever. Um, You know, when was the last time you saw somebody buy a 10 foot pole, like, how many people like new new players even know what a 10 foot pole is really for because now if you step on a trap it's like a minor inconvenience you know um there's just there's much less reason to think critically about what you're doing because there's there's much less punishment for fucking up you know what i mean
0: yeah very much so um I, I remember, uh, this has been more than a year ago, a year and a half ago, that I started a game on Roll20 where um, I was straight up with the players at the very beginning of the campaign saying, hey, we're going to roll your hit points, we're going to roll your stats, and we're, we're just going to go straight down the line with your stats, then we're going to roll your hit points, and we're going to start at level one, and you guys have to, actually earn your way up to higher levels and if your character dies well you got to make a new character um starting at either well initially until player characters started getting up to level three all player care all new characters started at level one Mm -hmm. so there were we went through probably six months where the player characters were just cycling through because a lot of times it was just bad roles but there were a few bad tactical decisions, and eventually in this campaign, all of the players were definitely making the best tactical decision that they could in the in the situation that they were in. I, I definitely saw the players grow in their tactical decision making. Um, some of the players were really good at it from the beginning, but there were a couple of them. they they really needed those uh, slaps on the wrist in order to uh, to to learn, well, this is how, you play in a low-level D and D game where the DM doesn't fudge rolls to make sure your players survive.
1: <laughs> that's the Darwin Awards, words, man. That's that's exciting to hear that that worked out. That 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 meat grinder process taught some lessons. That's that's really cool.
0: Um, one other thing, like this is more um, this is definitely a D and D centric one, uh, the specifics, but. Um, particularly with whenever you have access to area of effect stuff i can't tell you the number of times i've seen people throw down area of attack area of effect attacks against single enemies and this mm-hmm. criticism i sc- land squarely at the feet at the designers of DD 5th edition because fireball and lightning bolt both their level spells do more damage than any than the other comparable level spells at third level and below so these area of effect attacks are doing more damage and it's they're trying to make it so that these big cool spells are going to be the more tactical thing more tactical thing to do but any other spell or area of effect attack it's generally not going to be better against a single foe and it's if you have something that is a more focused attack, because more focused attacks generally are able to do more damage against a single enemy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a ton of things like that. Um, if you, if you want to get into magic as far as like blade barriers and fog clouds and you know, all this kind of stuff like, um, I think fifth edition has made magic much more, uh, ephemeral than it used to be. Like there's, I, I don't have hard numbers to back this up, but this is just my sense reading the spells that it seems like stuff lasts for much shorter periods of time now than it used to. So that, that adjusts some stuff. And then there's also the whole thing where like anything that lasts more than a turn pretty much has to be a concentration thing. Um, so that sort of locks up your your wizard or cleric or whatever in some ways, um but yeah, like defending the wizard, you know that's I don't know how how much that happens. I don't see it very often uh <laughs> it's uh i I get this feeling um i I don't think it's just the people that I play with, but i I think the the rules cater to this that it's very like every man for themselves um kind of stuff and like who can showboat you know there's there's not a lot of mechanical advantage explicitly given um i mean even the the fucking flanking rule is an optional rule for god's sake um but there's there isn't much else um that's mechanically advantageous for working together um like do you remember the uh Let's see, is it Hunter the Reckoning um, or Hunter the Vigil? Hunter the Vigil um, had a whole section in that book about like group level tactics, you know, of like throw a net over the monster. That's the job of like two people in the group. And then somebody else like stabs him in the back with a stake or whatever the hell. And that whole thing is like, it's almost like a skill challenge. Do you remember that system?
0: yeah it was built up so that um, all of the players had to take certain had to have certain levels of um, like um, of hand to hand or m- weaponry. they had to have certain levels in those uh, skills in order to even pull off a maneuver. so you had to build your characters cooperatively to make sure that you could actually do the, the this maneuver that would advantage you in combat.
1: Yeah and you had a pool of group experience points that you would spend to get these group tactics to reflect you all like training in the same uh, the same set of maneuvers over and over again like the x-men in the danger room basically um, and then you know when the time comes everybody knows their position everybody jumps at the right time and if you're lucky a handful of you know plain old humans can take out a vampire or a werewolf through teamwork that's fucking cool D doesn't have anything like that um i think probably the main reason is that for 98 percent of the monsters uh killing them is just a matter of whittling down their hit points there's not a lot of interesting ways to kill monsters um you know some have vulnerabilities or whatever but I can't think of any of them that are like, you know, hit them in this one spot and they'll die for sure or,
0: you know, anything like significant like that. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Like in previous editions, you had like you have to have a silver weapon if you ever want to deal damage to this um, to this thing. Now it's uh, your weapon must be either silver or magical and by maybe fourth or fifth level, who, what group doesn't have a at least a couple magic weapons, and the, then the rest of the player characters are playing characters who always use magic to begin with.
1: Yeah, if if you've got any casters at all, they've almost certainly got uh, you know reasonable damage dealing cantrips that never never run out of juice. So it's it's kind of a, a joke to put something like that in there anyway. But, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of ways that it could be more interesting and and also feel more fantasy-related, you know? Um, I mean, think about tricky shit like, you know, the, the mirror shield to fuck up the Medusa, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, figuring out some way to, to fuck with monsters... <sighs> There's just nothing like that in in any version of D and d that gets played that I'm aware of um it was there was some shit like it in uh like second edition days but by the time that third comes around I think they got rid of any of that kind of stuff and everything was consolidated into like uh, the the run of the mill d20 system and to do stuff like that you'd almost have to have like a whole separate um set of game mechanics specific for the monster and that's you know completely antithetical to the whole d20 uh design philosophy to this day
0: yeah i just missed the days where in order to kill a hydra you had to, to uh chop off each of its heads and deal fire damage to the stump, to each individual stump before you could take it out, rather than reduce the thing down to zero hit points and then just deal fire damage to it.
1: Yep. I was just trying to think of uh, of a game system that like really does this kind of thing well. Um, the only ones that I can think of that I think um, do tactics uh, really well are, are uh, the Chaosium systems. Um, like, I don't think World of Darkness is a, a good game for tactics, even though, you know, I've, I've run uh, action gun-toting kinds of games in that plenty of times and played in them. Um, yeah, it, it still takes too long to, to die and stuff like that. That's, that game is meant to make it easy for you to drop, but kind of hard for you to die so it's more dramatically inclined. Um, But yeah, like Stormbringer, Call of Cthulhu, stuff like that. Um, Delta Green, that was good tactically. You know, we had to be really smart because we could for sure die at the drop of a hat. Um, That's about all I can think
0: of for modern games. Well, um, let's shift and talk well, hang about, on. I, uh, I,
1: had, I had some more. Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So another thing um, that I rarely ever see. There, there's a there's a few things like this. Um, reconnaissance before the fight ever happens. Often, I mean, unless it's a unless it's a wandering monster, you know, random encounter thing. Um, if you're talking about Going out as a group, you know roughly the location of what your objective is. Um, maybe you know that there's, there's some danger there. Maybe you've heard rumors that, you know, there's orcs in that cave or whatever. Um, and, and you know roughly, you know, what mountainside that might be in. Okay. Most groups at that point would go out, find the cave... March right into the cave, start killing everything that they come across, you know, and hope for the best. But you've got such an advantage in this situation here where you have chosen to attack a location, you know the location, they don't know that they have any enemies coming for them. And unless there's some storyline reason, uh, you might not even be on the clock or anything. So, Theoretically, you could post up on a nearby mountain peak with your spyglass or something and just watch how they do things. You know, how do they bring in food? How do they, you know, bring in slaves? You know, how do they get weapons? Whatever it is that's going on, you know, figure out what the fuck's going on here. Who's there? How many there are? What they want? Things like that. You know, how often do you see groups do that? And, If you did gather all this information, assuming, of course, that you've got a DM that prepped enough to, or is good enough at improvising to have decent answers to this stuff, there could be some big advantages. You know, when do the, when do the guards change? Uh, How many people are on guard duty? Do they have
0: guard dogs? You know,
1: what's their chain of command? You know what I'm saying?
0: Like, I know exactly what you're saying. But I will say as a player, never have I been shot down more often by the DM than trying to do those tactics for trying to learn about my enemy before I come upon them and roll initiative. I have played characters who are bookworms and who want to do research about the location where we're going to be going and what types of things might be there in order to be better prepared so I can as a wizard know what spells to prepare so that I can know if there is a fire, if there is a high likelihood that there is a fire immune creature there. So I don't memorize a bunch of fire spells or in um, like a modern or futuristic game, trying to scout out the location where we're going to be doing this big heist. I have tried to do that. And every single time the DM will shut me down and not give me any Information. It doesn't matter how good I roll.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've also been shot down at this many times. And I, I think the reason is uh, similar to the reason why um, scouting for the party rarely ever works out is that it, it's hard for people to think of this as being more than just like one player's action. And everyone gets really stuck in a, a timescale of individual actions of, you know, six-ish second rounds. Um, it, I think it doesn't occur to a lot of players that you could easily say, you know, I'm going to camp out on this mountaintop for three days and watch that cave. You don't have to play every six seconds of those three days. If everyone's like, yeah, sure, let's do that. Cool. Okay. All right. Five seconds later, tell me what happened. What did I observe over the course of those three days? Right? Like, if you're not round to round in combat and there's, there's no narrative timeline set, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand who's, who's being harmed
0: by this. Um I will say that's one of the things I loved about that Abana game that we played because the rule system we were using actually took that into a, into account and it made it a part like a core function of one player in the mercenary group that they were going to be the scout and that they were going to gain information about the enemy before a combat happened. It was a it, the rules actually went into what you would what you would learn and how it would affect the coming battle.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that can be overstated. Um, the, the rules are the game. People like to pretend like the rules are something that get in the way of the good part, like some imagination and goofing off with your friends and using silly voices or whatever. But the truth is the game, the actual structure of the activity that you're playing is the rules And if the rules don't support things like that, which 5e supports precious little like that, um, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you're, you're asking a DM to come up with random shit on the fly and it's just a hole in the game design. And you see, you see similar kinds of stuff, even, um, not on the scale of, of, uh, fixed position reconnaissance like that, but uh, while traveling, you know, often the, the ranger or the rogue or somebody, um, they're going to be wanting to like get ahead of the main body of the group and scout ahead or, you know, watch the flanks or something. Um, And anytime that this comes up, it, it's like an argument if you want to get more than, you know, a move action away from the rest of the group, well, the, the fucking clumsy ass paladin with his plate mail is kind of a dead giveaway. You know, you want to be <laughs> a ways ahead of that if your whole plan is, you know, slipping through the tree line like the fucking predator. Um, but there's so much resistance There's You're, you're splitting the party, you know, it's like, Jesus, man, like they're not all built to do the same shit. So let different classes do the things that they're meant to do at the times where it would be most advantageous for them to be doing those things. It it drives me nuts when, uh, you know, plate mail fighter wants to be rushing up to the front and like, why the fuck did I even put any points into stealth then? Okay, fine. Still there. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just trying to think of something else to say. Another thing that I never see, um, is setting up ambushes or traps for enemies. Um, It it seems like it's always that the group arrives at a location where the enemies have been, and then the group attack them on essentially enemy home turf. Um, Rarely do I see groups try to use distractions or try to uh, try to draw away um, small groups of them, like in hit and run tactics, like you know guerrilla combat stuff, um, which is exactly the kind of tactics that you'd want to use against a, a superior fixed force. You know, you want to use your mobility to your advantage, and you know, just in and out of the shadows. You know, hit and run. Um, it's it's always like, all right, we arrive. Everybody roll initiative in the middle of the orc camp. All right, let's just keep fighting until all the orcs are dead. Um, that's obnoxious. I'd much rather take, like, you know, a Che Guevara type of approach. Um, and if you do find yourself in a situation where um, you're surrounded by enemies, people should put their backs to each other, you know? You should, you should do the, that tortoise kind of maneuver as much as possible. Because the worst thing to happen is to have an enemy on each side of you. And I almost think like there's something about table etiquette that keeps this from from being uh, a problem easily fixed. Because everything's supposed to be egalitarian in a role-playing group. There is no leader most of the time. And so nobody is in a position of authority to say... Hey dude, you're fucking up. Get in line. We're trying to form a fucking shield wall here, or whatever it is we're doing. Like you're you're stepping on someone's fun if you if you do something like that, you know? And uh
0: something about that really annoys me. I do see that. I do see um the player like just each player not wanting to be the one who takes an order from another player. But I also see just a gen- Just in general, players are so fucking impatient. It doesn't matter if you've got a great opportunity to scout out a location like, oh, I don't know, an example off the top of my head, something from like eight years ago, um, where you have the opportunity to scout out a military base where you know a bunch of racists are uh, getting ready or are doing experiments on the undead in order to launch an attack against your settlement you have the opportunity to do some scouting and it would literally be we we're going to sit there and and watch the um watch the airfield for a day or something and the gm can snap their fingers and say okay this is what you see one player is going to just sneak up and try to get into the facility without anybody else around and just get ambushed and have three or four enemies attacking them in a system where one shot is one kill. And it's, um, it's only by GM Fiat that the player character doesn't get their ass killed. This is just a hypothetical, by the way, this didn't (laughs) happen eight years ago.
1: I I think, uh, I mean, I, have never served in the military. Um, but I believe that you would have a radically different experience um, if you had one or more veterans playing in the group, uh, I, I think that, uh, for civilians, unless they've gone out of their way to study tactics and, you know, the history of warfare and things like this small unit combat, um, it, all they've got to go on is action movies and action movies always do this shit wrong. Almost always. Um, I heard once that, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons was super popular, um, in the barracks in, uh, it was either Iraq or Afghanistan, maybe both, it was like a, a lot of guys over there were playing D&D and the commanding officers were encouraging it because it encouraged people to think like a team, to think tactically, you know, all these things we're discussing, um, so yeah, I mean, again, uh, unless there's, unless there's some consequences to it and un- unless there's, uh, there's significant social pressure in the group, um, I mean, it, it, at some point, like if you're really thinking about it from the perspective of this character as if they were a real person in this situation, dealing with these other people, um, and this was their life, and they actually had their life on the line. And you're running around in, you know, some be it a post apocalyptic wasteland full of, you know, racists or cannibals or whatever, or be it some medieval countryside full of goblins and dragons, doesn't matter what the threat is. Um, if you've got some jack off that is constantly, you know, blowing your cover, running in doing stupid shit you've got to go fucking rescue them um you know whatever kind of madness this histrionic nutcase is pulling they're a liability they are putting your life in as much danger as any of the the monsters or bad guys that you're facing off against and i mean at some point like someone's going to blow that character's head off <laughs> It's <laughs> Been known to happen, so I, I don't know. There's this. This is another one of those things where, like, table etiquette forces a really awkward situation, and and forces people to, or maybe not forces, but certainly seems to to pressure people into tolerating a lot more bullshit than is believable that they would
0: actually put up with in such stressful situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we, and then and we get into whether like just dealing with that player and what is the line? Most people probably aren't going to be comfortable with saying, just calling out the player for this, for this behavior, just because it's, there's this, There's this unspoken rule that you're not supposed to tell another player how they're supposed to be playing their character. And I feel like a lot of times that gets misinterpreted to be, um, even in character, I can't tell this other player or this other character that what they're doing is messing up what we've got going on here. I I think this is a perfect segue
1: into uh, another one of these topics that we had on our list here um (laughs) tension between players uh you're right um players who don't get along uh and this is this is a perfect example of like a high stakes situation um and i think this that uh a circumstance like we're talking about here is qualitatively different than one that is uh, a purely ideological one. Like we've we've talked a bunch of times about the, um, you know, the classic example of the the preachy paladin versus the sneaky rogue. Right. Um, this is a different kind of deal because the <laughs> there could be overlap, but. It's it's not worldviews that are conflicting. It's literally a matter of survival for everybody involved, and I I mean I would have to think that like most people put in a situation like this, if there was you know one or two or however many people in a, a group that repeatedly did stupid shit um, and made themselves liabilities for the rest of the group why would the rest of the group not leave them behind why would they not ditch them you know dumbass McFuckup wakes up in the morning and his bedroll is the only one around everyone else is taken off and he's just in the woods by a smoldering campfire in the the morning mist you know like why wouldn't you (laughs) just bail on somebody like that um but goddamn, show me how the fuck that plays out in, you know, a real world social context and what the DM has to say about it.
0: Yeah, I've been in a situation where that was kind of what was going on, where one player was just was just not jiving with the group. One player's character, I'm one player's character was just not for not in line with what the other players made their characters to do and in character the players were the players characters were making it clear hey man you are not doing the the things that this group is about you got you are not being the hero that we are all all expecting you to be or it could be conversely you are not being the villain that we are all uh the amoral uh sociopath who was just going around and uh getting into adventures that the rest of us are if there's one player who's just not getting it it shouldn't just be the gm's responsibility to take that player aside and say hey things aren't going as well or things aren't going in a way that everybody is having fun um i I have never been in the situation where I've been a player in that group, but I have been in the situation where I'm the DM in that group. And it has usually fallen on me to say, hey, man, your character's just not working. And, and this is after it's been made abundantly clear in character. The, the characters are constantly feuding and the characters feuding spills over into the players kind of bickering and starting to feud a little bit at the table.
1: Yeah, I I think it needs to be said that no one is entitled to your companionship, in character or out of character. And I I think a lot of people sit down at a D and D table and just assume that everyone's just kind of forced to be there together and stay together the whole time, no matter what. No matter how stupid you act or how much of a burden you become or how hard you are to get along with. Um, Everyone's got to stick together because that's just a, a a conceit of the game existing. I'm not so sure. Um, Yeah. I I think it, it should be considered perfectly appropriate for, uh, for characters to get into fights, you know, for, for characters to have duels with each other or, you know, Just somebody straight up get abandoned, like I was saying. Um, I mean, I, from what I understand of the Middle Ages, it was a much more violent time than now, just in day-to-day interactions with people. And so why wouldn't you expect, you know, two player characters to just get in a brawl over something, you know? And... (laughs) I mean, things like that have a way of, like, I don't know, bringing some clarity sometimes. You know, sometimes people just need to to get some shit out of their system like that. And and it's fun to play that. It's so boring to get along all the time. Uh, You and I tried to play around with that whole dynamic um, in Kyle's game. Again, you know, classic paladin rogue setup, but, like, when we'd get into it about things and argue or whatever, and we even dueled once, um, the actual players seemed to think that we were actually upset with each other. Jordan and Clayton are having a fight.
0: <laughs> was that your impression of it? It became my impression of it that the other people were seeing us as fighting. Um, I, that was absolutely not what I was doing. Um, I was. I was having a hell of a lot of fun with my character and I could tell you were having a lot of fun with it also. Um, It was just weird. Like we would get done playing the game and our characters would be like pretty much at like one of us would be ready to take the other's head off or uh, stab them in the back or challenge to a duel and maybe not pull punches. Um, And then we get done with the game and I remember us standing on the porch and just talking about the game and how much fun we had and like kind of people kind of giving us weird looks because wait, I thought you guys were mad. Yeah, everyone else is
1: stressed. <laughs> I mean, god. It it seems so obvious. Like you're not yourself. You're playing a role. It's role playing. This is a completely different character in a completely different world. Do what you want. Have fun with it. When it's done, we're still buddies. I'm not trying to stab you. <laughs> Why is this so hard for people to understand? But, like, again, it's it's the etiquette and the culture of the situation. Um, it's all become so much more docile. It's so much more, like, just domesticated, tame, all those words. It's it's all that stuff boring, you know, uh, I don't know. It's there's, it's lost some bite.
0: I will say that if I didn't trust you, I would never have pulled that. I would never have pulled that. uh, Like the first time we had gamed together, I would not have made a, I would not have made a character who would have done something like that just because I didn't, I wasn't aware of where your boundaries were, um, I played with you enough to know that you really like getting into it, um, having characters not get along. That's one of the things that's one of the things you you uh, thrive on in a game is when two characters don't get along. So I knew that feeding into that would cause us both to have a lot of fun. Um, if it's if you're in a situation where you don't know the other player, um, I've been in games where I have tried to be very upfront saying, Hey, I am intentionally making this character who is pretty abrasive. Um, I am doing this to have fun, but I don't want to overstep my bounds. And for you to think that I am being an asshole out of game, I am, I am being an asshole in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as, Moving forward, if you don't know the other players, you you just have to be upfront about it and say, hey, this is how I have my fun and allow the other players the option of saying, well, I don't really have fun doing that. Can you knock it off? I would be fine with that. But like you're saying, there is this there is this passivity where even if I say that to a player, make it entirely clear that everything that happens in the game is only happens in the game and does not leave the game. And anything anything I express in my character is not how I feel as a player. There are some people who are passive and will take that and and not speak up whenever you're trying to be honest and say, hey, this is going to be a character I'm making to be rough. But if you don't want to do that, please tell me. There are some players who, who just will not say it. Mm-hmm. And that. I, I feel like I'm doing everything I can and it it's a level of maturity
1: yeah uh, maturity's got a lot to do with it and and you know just their basic personality too I mean some people are just you know sort of petrified of any kind of conflict real or simulated um, but uh, yeah you're right uh, if, if there's tension in a group that's interesting to me. And I think that like, you know, when you look at TV shows or movies or books or whatever kind of media you're talking about, any kind of drama, um, the drama is between the main characters. That's, those are the people that you're interested in and their relationships with each other are what draws you into the story and makes you relate to it on a human level. If it's just a, a row of people, people facing outward at the rest of the world and the dm is just putting various npcs and monsters and obstacles in front of that row of people standing shoulder to shoulder you know engaging with whatever it is that they come across that's boring as fuck and that's the way that a lot of uh role-playing groups end up behaving when there is no inter-party conflict or, or or any kind of dynamic at all it's just everyone's you know brought their particular abilities to the table and that's their contribution and it's it puts much more work on the dm like you've got to sit there and just you know do some kind of puppet show for six people for a few hours a night that's fucking boring my favorite thing is to stir that shit pot in a group you know, sow some some seeds of paranoia, you know, uh, work some angles, get some people, you know, pursuing their own ends and, you know, just see how that, that alchemy plays out because, I mean, straight up, like the argument that you have with an NPC is going to be instantly forgotten, but the argument that you have with another player is, is going to be something that you and that player, in-game in I mean, are going to remember ages later. It, it's going to be like, man, this was a cool moment in this game. I was engaged. I felt like I was there, and I could put it away when we left the table. That's fun, man. That's That gets your blood pumping. That's
0: that's what I play this game for. And there is a point where it, you can... You can say, you can make clear your intentions of of doing this just in character and nothing going into real life. But at the moment where one of the players says, "I am uncomfortable with this, that's where I back off. That's where i that's where I stop pressing. That's where I contemplate whether or not I um, my character needs to, have some in-game thing happen to them that might change their personality a little bit just to make sure that everybody there is there having fun. Um, I, One thing I don't want to do in playing a character who has some abrasion with them is take away from the fun of another player sitting there at the table. And if I cross a line, I want to know that I've crossed the line so that I can know either to not cross it or to have a conversation about whether or not everybody around the table is agrees and is comfortable with this being something that is a part of the game.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, let's face it, it goes both ways. Like we were saying about, you know, uh, abandoning some, uh, annoying character somewhere. Um, the, Sometimes you're going to find a group that you just don't jive with, and not all players match up with all groups. And you know that doesn't mean somebody's playing D and D right and somebody else is doing it wrong. It just means that you're looking for different shit, and it very well may be conflicting. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a there's a group out there for probably just about everybody. Um, I, <laughs> a few edge cases aside. Um, but yeah, you just got to find people that are looking to play in the way you're looking for and, you know, kind of the, the speed and, uh, I don't know, style that, that you're after, but
0: just no shame in walking away and looking elsewhere. Um, are there any other points you want to bring up? Cause we're getting to the point where we could go ahead and move on to geek things and end the episode, unless you've got something else, another point. Uh,
1: yeah, I've I've
0: talked plenty. My my voice is starting to give out. I think. All right. Um. Well then, let's go on to geek things. Um. I really don't have a lot of geek things. Um. Right now, uh, Savage Worlds is having a um a crowdfunding for the uh, release of the Superpowers Compendium for or companion for uh the current edition of Savage Worlds. Um. That is currently going on on the Pinnacle website um they're not doing them through uh kickstarter anymore i believe that they're probably just tired of kickstarter taking big cuts of uh the money that they fundraise so uh check out uh that if you're interested in a pretty solid uh superhero game um hopefully they'll close a few loopholes that have existed in the previous edition of the rules
1: nice um mine is a podcast that I've been listening to off and on here lately uh, been enjoying it it's, it's called the uh, video game history hour um, they're they're approaching 50 episodes so they're they're doing pretty good with it um, but anyway they they just go into you know various video games of, of various eras and do kind of a deep dive on you know the development of the game how it was released and received by the public and you know the legacy things like that um i mean i'm nerdy as shit about stuff like this so i i just get way into it but yeah if uh if that sounds interesting to you i'd check it out
0: all right well jordan why you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice let's do it This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.